Hello everyone and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. Singularity One-on-One is a feature of Singularity Weblog where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you may already know, my name is Socrates and as always I will be the man with the questions. Today I'm privileged to have Andrew Hessel who co-chairs the Bioinformatics and Biotechnology track at the Singularity University an institution founded by futurists Ray Kurzweil and the X-Prize Foundation CEO Peter Diamandis, together with sponsorship from world-leading organizations that include Google, Autodesk, and NASA. In addition, Andrew is also the founder of the Pink Army Cooperative, a venture exploring open-source personalized cancer therapies. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Futurist Magazine, Humanity Plus, Wired News, and many others. So without further ado, let me welcome Andrew and say hi, Andrew, and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. It's great to have you here today. Hi, it's really good to be here. Excellent. Um, I'll jump straight into the the interview with the following question. Um, Andrew, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background maybe, um, such as your childhood or your education, but most importantly, how and why you got interested in uh, biology and especially genetics or synthetic biology? Well, my original love was computing, and so I was part of the first wave of people to start buying computers when they became mainstream, in other words, personal computers, and I really enjoyed it. But the rate of change in computers was so quick, and I found that I really didn't care about computers as devices that I switched my focus to genetics. I really look at the cell as a type of programmable, um, wet, squishy computer and DNA, the programming language for that. And so it was a really good time to get into genetics. The Human Genome Project was just starting up, and I did a lot of work with different groups that were doing DNA sequencing and eventually jumped to the biotech industry uh, to help uh, with the sequencing projects there, but also with the bioinformatics projects. Now I'm almost exclusively focused on, on genetic engineering, essentially the writing of genetic code, which today we call this field synthetic biology. So would you call yourself a synthetic biologist or geneticist, uh, sort of a, 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 a unique computer scientist, went biologist, or, or how do you qualify yourself? I, I've always looked at myself as a, genetics, a, a geneticist. Uh, however, most of the work that I've been doing for the last four or five years has been focusing on communications around genetic engineering. There's a, a building bridges between different communities. Synthetic biology sh- significantly shifts the way that genetic engineering is done. It has less emphasis on the laboratory and more on the design, which makes it more like software engineering. And so I've been doing a lot of messaging to bridge these communities and and open up new interests in genetic engineering, which has typically been thought of as a rather boring science. So what is the motivation behind your work? Uh, a lot of it um, has really just been uh, the the incredible opportunities I've had to see different communities in action. I've worked with, with the very pinnacle of the biotech industry in Canada and the U.S., um, and it, it's fascinating seeing it from, from academics 
point of view as well as the industry point of view uh, and even some business development and legal sides. And so I've had this really broad exposure to the industry and now I'm seeing a fundamental shift from uh, as it becomes accessible to to smaller groups, even individuals that uh, that are technically skilled. And so I'm seeing this the mainstreaming of the industry and the broadening and opening up of it now. So we see it in some ways with uh, the do-it-yourself biology community. We're seeing it with smaller startup biotech companies, and most recently with a whole new wave of synthetic biology-focused companies, largely in the area of biofuels and specialty chemicals right now. The motivation right now is to broaden the audience uh, so that we can create a, a larger foundation for next-generation life science, make uh, genetic engineering uh, attractive again to another to a larger audience of people because I believe it's going to be a major growth industry globally uh, as we start to shift towards uh, a larger biosynthetic industry and ultimately to apply the technologies to uh, to the low-hanging fruit uh, to areas where we can make a difference quickly and, and use and create a, a foundation to grow the industry so what is the low-hanging fruit in your opinion? Well, we've, we've already seen some of it. In the area of biofuels, this is low-hanging fruit because we, we consume uh, you know, massive amounts of fuel. We have to start balancing the carbon load of our planet. We're going to see it in some areas of specialty chemicals that are today uh, produced using um, rather toxic or, or harsh means that have high temperatures and pressures. Biosynthesis is amazing. Like it runs on sugar and it can make incredibly complex molecules. So we're going to see a shift in that to things like bioplastics and other compounds. Um, and then I, I believe in the, in the biomedical front, uh, the area that's really attractive is, is in the cancer space. Because with cancer, you're not trying to repair a cell. You're actually trying to just selectively kill it. It's more of an antibiotic problem. And the specificity that, uh, that is available using biomolecules is incredible. So if we can start to engineer biomolecules faster and easier, I think we'll make tremendous progress on the cancer front. So would you say in that case that your motivation is humanitarian or is it like um, sort of a scientific curiosity? Is it a bit of both? It's a little bit of everything. You know, like I, I came from a generation where, where 15-year-old kids became the experts in computers because, you know, because it became available to them. They had all this time to study, play, apply, and they created the, the foundation that ultimately became the Internet and, and has revolutionized the world. And we're still seeing it as an ongoing practice today. I think we're going to see that same type of, of, of creativity and, and new energy come into the biological engineering space and through synthetic biology which strips away many of the technical and economic barriers to doing this work. So I'm just looking forward to a revitalized, brand new, very powerful industry that's, that has so much potential um, and certainly some challenges uh, when it comes to managing risks and, and logistics, but, but that could really create um, you know, a, a vast array of new careers and economic potential for the, for, for the world. That, that sounds really promising, but... Is there not a, a risk that um, the promise of sort of do-it-yourself home kit uh, biohacking technology that you're referring to may turn out to be similar to the promise of um, the mapping of the human genome so far? 
I mean, Craig Venter uh, only uh, recently kind of admitted that the mapping of the human genome has not unleashed yet all the unbelievable technologies that it was supposedly promising. So uh, do, you, do you think, uh, what would be the benchmarks that what you said would be happening or would not be happening? What are the sort of stepping stones to get us there? Well, I, you know, I have a different viewpoint on what the Human Genome Project actually delivered to the world. Um, it was an incredible accomplishment. Remember, it, it was it was one of the largest scientific initiatives of the day. Um, you know, cost billions of dollars, and the data that came out of it uh, really opened up uh, the. It was a starting point to understanding, you know, really the most complex genome on the planet, ours. Mm -hmm. And, and so it shifted, the, the, the focus shifted away from reading genomes to interpreting the human genome, um, which has been a tremendous job. And again, very specialized. Uh, this wasn't something that just anyone could do, but it's opened up an entire new, uh, a very sophisticated branch of genetics that, and, and meanwhile, down at the bottom end of genetics, sequencing smaller organisms, that's become routine. Even a lot of the analysis has become fully automated. So I think there's been tremendous deliverables in into the genomics community. And I think the main difference with synthetic biology is that it doesn't start at the top. It's not it doesn't start with a multi you know international multi billion dollar effort. It starts with what individuals and small groups can practically do. And I've been, I've seen this in action by working with the MIT iGEM program mm -hmm. since 2005. So, you know, we're into our sixth year that I've been participating with them. I see student groups, literally, some, sometimes high school students, but certainly first and second year undergraduate, many of them not having worked in a lab before, come into the type of learning by doing environment using the tools of synthetic biology which are which are shared you know it's much more open source it's much more online the resources are there and within a summer for very small dollar amounts do projects that are that are state of the art you know it could be phd projects it could be state of the art industry projects and they're developed in months so i see the power of this and i know that the deliverables are within reach like really powerful projects are capable, um, are within reach of very small groups or really smart individuals for not a lot of money. It's still expensive. You know, we're talking $20,000 for a, for a project, but, um, but still, you know, compared to what it used to cost of doing biotech, that's amazing. So I think it's just going to mushroom. So speaking of, uh, only $20,000 compared to what it used to cost and, and the mushrooming effect, is it, already past the point that we can call biology an information um, science or oh, yeah. information technology science, or are we not there yet? In no. other words, are we noticing the so-called exponential growth along Moore's law kind of a, of a curve? Yes, absolutely. So um, ever since, ever since uh, in my world with DNA, it's been exponential from day one. Mm -hmm. When I first got onto the public data banks for genetics, um, uh, it was about 1989, 1990, uh, my first distribution of it was on floppy disk. 
So I remember when they upgraded to CD, and now now uh, there's hundreds of billions of genetic bases in the in the public domain, hundreds of billions, and it's growing. It it would be doubling. Um, in fact, it doubles faster than Moore's law. So Moore's law is actually uh, is actually a limiting effect with the rate of growing <laughs> biological data, and people are recognizing this. Like DNA is one of the cheapest ways to write digital information and store it for long periods of time stably. So, um, so yeah, we're going to actually. But all of all of modern life science, whether you're looking at systems biology, the reading of the genome, and now synthetic biology, is actually uh, built on a foundation of information technologies, computer software, um, you know, even the cloud. So, so how is your work at, at the Singularity Institute or at the Pink Army Cooperative relate to all those issues and, and tendency that, tendencies that we've just discussed? Well, my work with Singularity University, it's not the Institute, the Singularity University yes. is, is focused on, on, on growing leadership and teaching about exponential technologies of which life science and, and uh, genomics are, are one of the fastest-growing exponential technologies mm -hmm. that's right on the cusp. Just about everyone that comes through our program recognizes uh, the, that we're literally uh, at, at the threshold of, of transformative changes, and we can see it. The cost of sequencing a genome has plummeted from from three billion dollars for the first one to a million dollars two or three years ago. You know, to to literally under five thousand dollars now. And we know it's just going to keep falling lower. Synthetic biology has grown from from having no one even knowing the term to uh, to companies with valuations approaching a billion dollars. So this is. Um, this is pretty incredible. So Singularity University is one of the main ways that I've been using for going and, and messaging um, and teaching and, and getting other people on board, and I think it's been really fun. With Pink Army Cooperative, what I'm doing there is I'm exploring um, uh, really the next generation of biotechnology companies in, in the cancer therapeutic space. And what I recognized was um, two major things. One is we, we understand that... that Every cancer is, is unique. And like if you start looking down at the genetic level, every single cancer is unique. Your cancer is different from my cancer. There, so trying to bin people into traditional clinical trials and doing drug development where one drug is meant to treat a population of people as, as we might with a painkiller like aspirin or Tylenol, mm -hmm simply doesn't work. We need to rethink drug development for diseases you know, that are genetically based and unique, like cancer. Two, um, I recognize the power of synthetic biology to create kind of an open source um, cancer drug design company. So this is, and how, do, how, how could I make something that was do-it-yourself, open source, and, and, and run it like a company. And so, um, so what I did when I synthesized all this was I made, um, I made Pink Army, which is the first, uh, biotech company organized as a cooperative. So it's it's been a fascinating area. Um, I've been growing membership, which is uh, how we raise capital. Every member can buys a share. It's not a it's not a donation to cancer research, and it's an investment in a social enterprise. Um, so I've been growing the messaging around that. I've been growing membership, and this year we're really making a push 
uh, to action because the DIY community is becoming more organized, synthetic biology is becoming more organized, and of course all the costs for doing this type of work have been falling dramatically. So we're making a big push to grow the company this year. Uh, I wish you good luck. I, I've been following kind of from the sidelines because this is uh, philosophically a very unique approach to biotechnology, which is traditionally done by those huge multinational corporations which have very strong um, enforcement of, you know, intellectual property and the, the whole open source idea along the Android or Linux lines is, is, is entirely unique and I wish you good luck. Uh, but I want to ask you, so you've just mentioned, mentioned the promise of a sort of a personalized cancer treatment specific to each unique individual. Uh, could you give us some more specific um, steps or benchmarks or goals that you have in front of your organizations, maybe organization and maybe mention some of the projects that you do there? Well, right now, I just want to be clear. Pink Army exists as a virtual biotech company. We, we don't run lab spaces at this point. We've just been growing our membership, which is giving us a capital base, which has been growing quite well. We haven't spent any of the member capital at this point. We're just, we're just growing it. And when we hit a trigger point for being able to do the work, then we'll start to give out contracts. Uh, for doing this. But here's the way the process is envisioned. Mm -hmm. Rather than, rather than spending hundreds of millions of dollars doing lead development to try and find a drug candidate that's going to take 10 or 15 years to go through a drug development process and ultimately be sold to a market for a lot of money, we're yeah. taking a completely opposite approach. We, we want to start with a single individual. That, ha that has end-stage cancer and no other pharmaceutical options. We want to be able to assay their cancer, in, in other words, understand everything we possibly can about it, mm -hmm. and by opening up, by, by establishing a cell line for their cancer and asking the community, go run any tests that you can do and donate and bring this data back into the community. Meanwhile, where we want to use synthetic biology to make a specific therapeutic agent. I've been championing something called an oncolytic virus, which is just a virus that only infects cancer cells, does not infect normal cells, and that there's about 30 years of, of work that have been done on oncolytic viruses. But there's other classes of therapeutics as well. But the, the beautiful thing about it is, is they can be made with synthetic biology they can be designed by a community because it's really just designing a, a bit of small genomic software, and they can be manufactured really inexpensively because think about it. How much does it cost to catch a cold? You know, like you can make billions of, of viruses in, in a single tube in an afternoon. So we want to focus on the development of specific viruses and demonstrate in the lab that they're effective against one person's cancer and doesn't infect normal cells. And once we get to that point, we, we realize, you know, here we have a low-cost therapeutic that's been developed for someone that has no other pharmaceutical options. How do we cross that last barrier of being able to deliver it to them and letting them try it? You know, and that's risk versus benefit for one individual. And that's a really different problem than the drug development industry and the FDA and regulators have dealt with in the past. So we're really excited to try and move this forward as a community exercise. So, so how does one get involved and, and to, to assist you in your project? And what is that trigger moment that you've mentioned? Yeah. 
Well, uh, I've put a trigger of 2,500 members that, that have, that have bought a share. The shares are $20. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, we're still working to that, but we've been laying the foundation for communications on this. And it's a big thing to communicate. Most people haven't heard of synthetic biology, let alone cooperatives or, or, you know, truly understand some of the basics of cancer. Um, so, it, you know, we've been building this base of messaging, but meanwhile, everything that supports this, this project has been growing in, in, uh, you know, around us. So it's just getting stronger. How do people help? The very, the very first step is become a member of the cooperative at pinkarmy.org. Um, and then just about anything else that you may want to do to contribute, whether it's write, whether it's communicate, whether it's redevelop the web page, whether it's you want to do viral engineering, whether you have, whether you just want to go out and recruit other people, you know, uh, there's so many ways. Just about every single role that would be part of a traditional biotech company is available to the members if they, if they care to donate and put in their time and energy and resources to growing it. And remember, with the understanding that I have one share in this company, that's it, just one share. That's all we ask of anyone to actually invest because that gives you full ownership in the, in the social enterprise. After that, it's whatever is motivating you to help rather than just going to run for a cure or, or fundraise for a research group that won't be, you know, have any avenue for developing a drug really. That sounds like a, like a beautiful, inspired and a very passionate vision that you have there. So let me ask you while we're on that level. What is the greatest or the biggest dream and inspiration that you have in the field in the field of synthetic biology? But also, what is your greatest fear? Well, um, my greatest dream is that we can actually, as as a species, as humanity, better integrate with nature. This is a living world, and you know, as we've gone and industrialized and become more technological, we've we've kind of moved away from that. We've paved it over. We've we've polluted it. You know, we've driven the balance of of you know the our environmental balance out of whack. And I truly believe that if we start to apply biology as a technology, that that it will change our environment. But it'll do so using living things that will ultimately better integrate us together. So, in other words, you know, we'll start to biomanufacture, not just strip mine. We'll we'll learn to leverage sunlight the same way plants do. We we will we will be able to make sustainable materials in the same way that nature does. We'll change the mix of the planet, but. I want to see a green and living planet, not one that's paved, not one that's run solely by, by technological machines. So I think that's, that's kind of the, the long-term goal. Integrate sustainably uh, with a living world. Now, in, in terms of the challenges of getting there, well, a lot of there, a lot of it is, is, is social. You know, the, the domain of life has, has been an area that we have not moved in very easily. We've been domesticating, uh, you know, animals and plants for thousands of years, but the idea of engineering them is still very foreign to most people. It certainly comes with some real risk because the smallest genomes are, are present in viruses and bacteria. In other words, they're the most accessible with these technologies, and those are as uh, our biggest risks in terms of biological, biological security. 
So I think it raises a lot of fears about how do we ensure um, our own biological security? How do we ensure that people are, are not going to be able to, to broadly hack um, cellular biology and, and produce illnesses? And these are very big issues because... But there's no way around them. If you're going to make something as specific as a, as a cancer cure, something that, that can kill cancer cells, it, it's very similar technology to, to things that are riskier. And there's no, they call it, you know, they point out that it, biology is dual use, but really all technologies are dual use. I don't have a great fear of synthetic biology. Nature, you know, is a massive generator of new genetic material. And, and so I believe nature is constantly generating vast amounts of new combinations of, bi of biological structures. The difference here is that now humans are going to be involved in the process of creating new ones. In other words, we're moving beyond just natural selection into an engineering of biology. So it, it relates to human intention. And human intention has a very broad range. Some people will use the technology maliciously for profit in ways to hurt others. Very, very few. Most people will focus on positive applications. So it's just how do we create uh, the environment and the safeguards and the policies and legislation and communications and all of these things that we use for, for running our, our world, our society, our industry, our, and protect societies and do it in a way that is sensible and effective. Um, so that's, that's the challenge to build, to build an effective, functioning, robust biological industry and world. Now, you've mentioned the, the sort of do-it-yourself home biohacking kits and the, the promise and, and the dream behind uh, synthetic biology. But let me ask you about some of the other implications that it may have in terms of spiritual or even religious uh, meaning that some many people ascribe to the world and the way they perceive biology in general, uh, disease, mortality, and things like that. So, first of all, let me ask you, do you have any religious affiliations yourself, past or present? And do you think, or what do you think would be the religious implications of a few major successes in the field of synthetic biology? Well, let, let me just back up one step and just address the DIY component. Sure. Um, I think DIY component is a lot like DIY personal computing. And I don't see people setting up home labs. I see this becoming much more, um, much more mediated through software and community labs. And I think we're making that shift already. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're all going to be making, doing genetic engineering at home. But, but that's, so just to clarify that point. When it comes to uh, spirituality, um, I, I think my the best way to describe the way I look at the um, uh, at religions. I was raised Roman Catholic, um, but that's not that's not what I feel strongest about these days. I kind of look, I, I tend to look at the universe as a type of computer, and <laughs> and and you know it's amazing, like. We have to appreciate just how small we are to the overall scale of this thing. And I just, I look at, at computing as being information being processed in motion, in changing. And so I look at layers and layers of computing from physical materials to biological materials, which I look at as a type of computer to electronic materials, quantum materials. Like, I think it's just, 
information processing all the way down. So I have a very, um, I, I, I tend to look at it in kind of a, a holistic, um, philosophical way that's closer to Buddhism, uh, than, than, than Christianity these days. But I look at synthetic biology, um, done respectfully as, as not only reading the language of, of life, um, but also looking to, to how to respectfully create it and master it. So I look at it as kind of, uh, poetry, biological poetry. And I think it's very, I think it's very powerful. It's something we have to respect, but, um, it's done with, with a holistic view that life is important. Human life is important and, and ultimately life anywhere that we may find it is important. That's beautiful. So, uh, if I try and connect um, synthetic biology with the concept of the singularity, um, do you think that the biggest uh, sort of fruits or the low-hanging fruit that you've mentioned would be widely available before any potential singularity or after it? So singularity, you know, and I've, I've been exposed to that word a lot through Singularity <laughs> University. Um, uh, the singularity means something different to everyone. Um, here's, here's how I look at it. Um, uh, we are building a global brain right now with computing that is, that is amazing. And of course, we'll see the latest example of some of this with, with Watson playing on Jeopardy in February. Um, so I think collective human intelligence is, is, is certainly on this incredible arc of, of growth because, because of our computing networks. That being said, our biological uh, entities, our cells, are very individual and very difficult to upgrade. You know, it's it's major operations just to get a knee upgraded or a hip upgraded. I don't see how we're going to upgrade every single cell in our network, um, you know, our, our human network, which consists of, you know, hundreds of trillions of cells working together. So I look at uh, synthetic biology and genetics um, applied to the singularity as, as largely through um, the preservations of genes and memes. And, and so what I mean by that is uh, we leave digital droppings through our life these days, and we're recording them in many, many different ways. And so the, the, our influence on the world is becoming easier to, to collect, process, and, and, and move on to another generation, whether it's our children and maybe perhaps one day our clones. I have no idea. Um, uh, then there's the preservation of our genes, and we know that this is a big motivator. We go and have children, we, but, you know, that only preserves a fraction of our genes. We scramble them up and mix them up. Today, through, through genetic engineering and, and synthetic biology, we have the ability to, to lock in that data and store it, either as an electronic file or as cells frozen in liquid nitrogen. There's no reason for animals to go extinct. Uh, you know, there's, the, there's no reason for us to go extinct. And certain characteristics and traits, we're going to learn how to engineer much better. So I think it opens up a whole new world for where humanity as a species goes. And uh, if you're interested in looking at this, I recommend a book by Juan Enrique, published as an ebook on Amazon, uh, that called Homo Evolutus, and really looking at the evolution of the human species with an eye to how synthetic biology could change this. Um, so, you know, we're, uh, but how these two merge together, you know, uh, greater than human intelligence and the ability to literally record and, and preserve all, you know, genetic and mimetic knowledge, I don't know what that means to, to humanity. Um, it's a pretty big concept. It is. It is huge, and and uh, 
it is uh, very useful that you put forward your own definition and your own take in it before you sort of elaborate it on it so that we know where you're coming from. But let me ask you this. If you have one message that you would like to leave our listeners with, one major message, what would that be? Uh, the major message would be do I would advise people not to be afraid of synthetic biology and genetic engineering that nature um, that by bringing creative human energy especially young creative human energy into it it will it will change the world in positive ways um, I, I believe this with all my heart if you don't believe that technology can make the world a better place and solve the issues uh, uh, you know the issues from the past and things that we're learning and growing as a species then you might as well just stop with technology altogether I really appreciate you uh, recommending Juan Enrique's uh, book and uh, I would also like to add that uh, he did a fantastic uh, presentation on TED about uh, his concept of uh, homo evolutis very powerful presentation with some amazing sense of humor, if I may add. So it's, I recommend that people would watch it. But uh, let's go back to you and uh, bring our interview to, a, to an end with um, the question, do you have a single message, one message that you would like to leave all our listeners and viewers with today? Yeah, absolutely. And my message would be, don't be afraid of this, these technologies. I think they're absolutely um, uh, transformative to the world, very powerful. Um, there will be some misapplications, but don't let that, don't let that um, scare you off. Look at it as a challenge that needs to be overcome and learn everything you can about this, particularly if you're young. You know, if you're young, this is the next uh, IT industry. This is a fresh start in something that's even more powerful than computers. It's about life. And it's virgin opportunities for you to learn, to grow, to apply, and to do some really amazing positive things for the world. So don't fear synthetic biology. Embrace the future. Embrace the future. I think it's going to be one of the most powerful global technologies, and it's, it's yours to explore. Well, Thank you very much, Andrew. That was very inspiring. And uh, on this note, I would like to bring our interview to an end um, by thanking also all, all of our viewers and listeners today. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Andrew because I did truly enjoy talking to him today. Thank you. Thank you.